What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the planet today. It is Monday, September 5th, 2022. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with our producer and co host, Nick Janusa. Nick, happy Labor Day. Happy Labor Day, Maddie. What a beautiful day for Labor Day. Um, I'm going to just assume that it's not raining right now, even though the forecast <laughs> says that it's going to be. Uh, happy Labor Day. Yeah, let's uh, let's hope my flight home did not get delayed. If you didn't listen to Friday's episode, I was camping this weekend in Rocky Mountain National Park. So can only assume I had an awesome trip. Um, that's <laughs> that's kind of what happens when you go camping. So fingers crossed that it is just as good <laughs> as I'm hoping it will be. Yeah, I think you're in for a great time. Rocky Mountain seems like a great place. I've never been to Colorado, but it, it's always been on my list of uh, places to go. I love Colorado. It's a it's a Pete Norton holy land. My dad moved there for two years just on a whim when he was younger. So wow, I don't even think I knew that. Yeah, he uh, he said that he was going to stay for two weeks and then came home two years later. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, so I will be back sooner than two years. Promise. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. We need you on this show. <laughs> and happy Labor Day to all of our U.S.-based listeners, and we hope that you are off from work today. Before we get into today's show, this episode is brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance, daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the materials to store craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT. Today, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way Monday and Friday. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. If you're new here, go hit that subscribe button. So let's get right into today's jam-packed episode. Yes, let's do it. All right, so we have two stories for you today in this wildlife conservation heavy episode. And the first one is by Jason Horowitz of the New York Times, who writes, A famous walrus is killed, and Norwegians are divided. We posted the link to the Seattle Times article, so there's no paywall for our listeners. You're welcome. That's a free no, one. But actually, yeah, go, yeah, go, go check out that article. Um, so, look, this is a very sad story, and it's an important reminder to keep wild wild. So don't feed wild animals, and that includes if you're out in a national park and you see bison. That also includes the wild animals in your backyard. Don't just go feeding the raccoons your dinner scraps. It causes animals to become more comfortable with people. And while that might sound great in theory, it presents a lot of problems that animals and humans shouldn't need to deal with. 
So Freya was a 1,300-pound walrus that lived in Oslo, Norway. She was named after the Norse goddess of love, beauty, and war, and was considered a beloved and feel-good international star. She had begun to wobble onto docked boats to sleep after hunting for clams and had gotten very comfortable with getting close to people at the marina nearby. So Freya was killed by fishery professionals in mid-August, and it's really polarized Oslo. Some view Norway as the bad guys here for killing an adored and wobbly sunbathing walrus, but others kind of understand the situation that officials were put in. But either way, this really sucks. Yeah, for sure. The fallout has impacted different groups in different ways. So victims advocates are raising money to build a statue in her honor. Politicians are demanding parliamentary hearings. Scientists are looking at an invasive species of Pacific oysters that may have lured her to her eventual death. Yes, you have all these different groups that now have a stake in what happened here. So there are people who are pissed that this beloved walrus was killed. Politicians want answers and they want to know what exactly happened and what could have prevented this because... This probably isn't going to be the last time that a big old walrus gets too close to people. So how do we prevent this from getting to a point where this walrus needs to be killed? And scientists are now looking at, is there any way that there was more food supply that shouldn't be here that we can remove? So in this case, maybe it's this invasive Pacific oyster that they can remove to make sure that that next walrus doesn't get so close to the people. Marius Lux, who is a 48-year-old, blamed... Freya's death on dark political forces and capitalist interests in protecting their yachts. Lux said they didn't have to kill it. We would have loved to have had this walrus here. She could have settled down. Norway's director of fisheries started to become alarmed as people began to get closer to her. They warned people to leave her alone, but people did not listen. Yeah, I mean, there were pictures posted of people taking selfies with with Freya, which, cool if you're doing it from afar, but... It's not like these people were 100 yards away. And this reminds me a lot of, you know, anytime you see a bison hurt someone at Yellowstone National Park here in the U.S. because people get up too close for a picture. Regardless of how friendly a wild animal might seem or look, they're wild. And it's important to give them their space. Yeah, absolutely. And the article says that authorities noticed a change in Freya's behavior as of late, further provoked by the maddening crowds of social media users. They became increasingly worried of a terrible accident where someone got hurt, so they gave an ultimatum for Norwegians to back off. Some place blame on the people who want to take a selfie with Freya, like we mentioned, but some tend to agree with Marius Lux, who said, hey, this didn't need to happen. People could have changed. So, I don't know, I mean, in this scenario, I hate to say that officials did the right thing, but I feel like their hands were kind of forced. Like, people were told... Stop encroaching on this animal. Stop getting it more comfortable with people. Yeah. Because something really bad could happen. I mean, it's it's a 1,300-pound walrus. Yeah. What's going to happen if it crushes somebody? It crushes a kid because, like, somebody tries to take a selfie with it. So this is awful. This shouldn't have happened. But I, I guess they were put in a position where this was kind of the only outcome left. Yeah. Uh, agreed. And, like, you're creating an environment when you try and take a selfie, try and get the animal more comfortable with you, whatever, as a person. Like, that connection does not exist. As much mm-hmm. as we want it to, it does not exist. Like, they don't actually care about you. They just know that you give them food. Mm-hmm. So, like, for people to be that selfish 
is is a little frustrating to me, to be honest. And like, I get pissed at my dad at it when he does it at the beach uh, with the seagulls. I'm like, dude, you're not helping them. They don't understand mm-hmm. how to hunt when the winter comes. Like, it's just, it's the same thing. Yeah, this isn't your dog, right? This isn't an animal that lives with you that sleeps at the foot of your bed. This is a wild animal that needs to be able to find its own food. And like you said, this takes away their incentive to hunt in some cases. So not just in the case of Freya, but in the case of all wild animals, unless you are a trained scientist who are, who's doing this as some sort of like feeding program to save an endangered or threatened species, just keep wild, wild and don't feed wild animals. Yep. A hundred percent. All right. Our last story for today, I know that came pretty quick, (laughs) is from Kathy Ellis of Rocky Mountain Outlook Today, who writes, 16 bison calves born to Banff heard this year. Banff's 1,200 square kilometer reintroduction zone now has between 85 to 90 bison, thanks to a busy spring for bison parents. Cat Trivers, the strategic communications advisor for Parks Canada said that the park is using the results of its five-year pilot bison reintroduction plan to inform future strategies for managing the wild bison herd. The summary of the report is expected to be released this upcoming winter. Bison are considered a keystone species that hold an ecosystem together. They hadn't lived in Banff for around 160 years before being reintroduced as part of a $6.4 million project. Parks Canada initially placed 10 young female and 6 young male bison in the park on February 1st, 2017. They came from a disease-free herd in Elk Island National Park, which is east of Edmonton, Alberta. The author writes that for the first 16 months, bison were held in the fenced area in an attempt to anchor them to their new home before their release into the greater 1,200 square kilometer reintroduction zone in the remote eastern slopes of Banff in summer of 2018. The bison herd mostly stays within that reintroduction zone, but a few male bison have actually wandered onto provincial lands. The reintroduction zone is fenced off in strategic locations to keep the animals from heading out onto those Alberta provincial lands, but they found a way to go check out the land anyway. There were once 30 million bison across North America, but they almost went extinct around the turn of the 20th century as a result of overhunting that left fewer than a thousand bison across the continent. So this story reminds me a lot of the bison herd at Yellowstone National Park, which was established in tandem with the Wildlife Conservation Society at the Bronx Zoo. For listeners who don't know me or are new to the show, I used to work at the Bronx Zoo, so I know quite a bit about that story. So let's just drop a couple fun facts here. The first herd at the Bronx Zoo was actually established in part with Teddy Roosevelt and the American Bison Society. And that was once bison were already, like Nick said, there was only about a thousand of them left. They were already on the brink of extinction in the wild. So a herd was brought into the Bronx Zoo and they just got to reproducing and eventually released a set number of bison out into Yellowstone to form a new natural herd that lives in the area that bison are from. So today, something like 70% of Yellowstone's bison can trace their ancestry to the Bronx Zoo, which is according to a volunteer tour guide that I met while working there. So I have not been able to verify that. Um, I can't find that stat anywhere, but she seemed really confident. So until I hear otherwise, we're going to run with that one. (laughs) 
the issue with these bison is that wild bison bred with cattle and often carried calves that were not 100% bison. So a couple of years ago, the Bronx Zoo started to use surrogate bison to carry these genetically pure bison calves who are actually now starting to reproduce on their own. They're, they're coming to age where we are going to have 100% genetically pure bison that are born out in Yellowstone and have lived their whole lives out there. So really, really exciting. And reintroduction stories like this into Banff or into Yellowstone are really a good sign that the ecosystem will remain in balance because like Nick said earlier, they're a keystone species. They're really important for the plains. So this is a, a big win in the conservation world. Yeah, it's so cool when conservation goes right mm-hmm. and like you actually can repopulate a species that's going extinct. Like down to a thousand bison. Now we're up to like, I think, I think 50, it's 50,000. I think it's around 50 now. Yeah. 50,000. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome. That's really great. And it's got to be so like rewarding. Like you have to yeah. feel so just fulfilled to be like, wow, look at all these bison running now because of like our efforts. That's, that's just so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Closing thought here. There's a lot of bad zoos. Um, you know, your, your tiger Kings, your roadside zoos, but the good zoos that are AZA accredited like the Bronx zoo. And you know, this is not a zoo, it's a national park, but Banff's conservation team is also one of those groups that's doing this the right way. The good zoos, the good conservation groups are really, really good and doing a really good job. So this is like we said, awesome news. It's a success story that, you know, we don't hear all too often. Yeah, absolutely. Really cool. All right. That will do it for today's episode of TPT. If you thought we were fired up for this one, we're going to be back on Friday for some more quick hits. Friday's episode is the 100th episode of the planet today. If you're not up for that, just go back to bed (laughs) and share this with your friends, share it on social media, do what you got to do. It's a big episode for us and we want as many people here as possible. So please, please, please one friend, double our listenership. If everyone does that in the meantime, make sure to follow us on our socials at planet today pod for more TPT for the planet today. I'm Nick Janusa. And I am Matt Norton. See you on Friday. See you on Friday. We're going to be fired up. Peace.